Welcome back to Peace Learn Health. I am your host, Marina, and I am here to educate you, inspire you on your wellness, mindfulness, and inner journey to self-improvement. I'd like to introduce you to our special guest, Dorsey Price-Alerio. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I would be happy to. <laughs> uh, I think what rises most in my mind is that I taught Latin and French in Chappaqua, New York. Uh, now I am tutoring on the telephone, French and Italian and Spanish. And I'm very happy that I was a teacher and that I retained that ability to teach and that love of teaching so that I have something to do at my age. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know very well that you uh, did a bachelor's in French and history, and you also um, had a master's in, in Latin, is that correct? In French from um, uh, NYU, New oh, York okay. University. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about why uh, you decided to pursue those? Well, my mother was from Argentina, and she came to this country when she was nine years old. And she already, of course, was speaking fluently by the time I knew her, speaking English and Spanish. But it was the time of the melting pot and my father, who did not speak Spanish, wanted, wanted the children just to speak English. And my mother, being a nice Spanish wife, said, all right. Um, and, but when she talked to her siblings, who were also came to this country, who also came to this country at the same time, she spoke to them in Spanish. And when I was about eight years old, I would sit there and listen to her and think, if I could speak Spanish... I would unlock all the secrets of the world. And so I became very interested in languages that way. I, I studied French at school. We were not studying Spanish in school in those days the way we are now. And then um, I met a gentleman from Cuba who had come here as an adult and I said, I went to him and I said, I want to learn Spanish. And then I became a, um, an interpreter in the Clinica Prenatal, the prenatal clinic at the hospital. And on and on and on I went with my languages. And then, of course, I retired after teaching. And um, I felt when COVID came along, I could just hear my father saying, you don't let COVID roll over you. You think what you're going to do when you're at home. So I asked my daughter, Allison, if she could find for me a couple of students that I could tutor in French or Spanish and so forth. And indeed she did. And now I have... Um, I have, I think, five students on the telephone, of course, and 
that's where I am now. And I am very happy. I'm a happy person because I think because I can do so much in my retirement years. That's truly beautiful. Can you just uh, let us know a little bit? Um, what are the languages that you're uh, fluent in? Well, I, I say I, ke- I teach, I mean, I, I speak what my mother used to call kitchen Spanish and kitchen Italian. In other words, if I go to those countries, I can carry on a reasonable conversation, find the local cathedral and the restaurant. French, I really am fluent in because I spent a year with Smith College in their junior year in Paris. So that I can do. Then I learned a little bit of Haitian Creole, not much, but we had an after school in Florida, an after school situation for the little children. Because, of course, the worst time for a child to be at home is after school with no mother and father at home. So I learned enough Haitian to speak to the Creole to speak to them a little bit. And just, I think that that's it. Beautiful. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> and English, of course, Marie. <laughs> Of course. Can you actually tell us about um, your books, Latin for Beginners and Latin is Emotion? Oh, yes. When I started teaching Latin, uh, I was teaching middle schoolers. And that's what I like best is to start people right from the beginning and also to make it fun. Of course. So I and Latin can be... uh, sometimes pretty deadly some people tell me and i would determine my classes were going to be fun so i put on a a costume this is one thing that i tell about in my latin for beginners i wrote a book on methodology of making latin fun i would put on a um well it was a sheet actually but <laughs> it was supposed to be uh looked like a peplum, a Roman toga. And then I um, went out to the yard and got a wreath made of ivy. And I, the first day in school, I had that on and I spoke to the students and I said, I am Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. And I told them the story about um, Minerva going down to Arachne's house and the the battle they had together of um, weaving. And Arachne was a very proud girl, and she said she could weave better than anybody. And I realized that she, her hubris and her arrogance, and I said, because you think you weave better than I do, I will turn you into long legs and long arms and you will be a spider weaving the rest of your life. So then I would turn to the class and say, and so you see how powerful I am? And so I hope that you will do your homework and work hard in this class. (laughs) And they didn't know whether to laugh or be shocked. I don't know what they thought. But eventually, after five years, I had... um, all Latin classes. The the French was dropped by the wayside. And I just, I loved 
I loved both all, all 10 years that I taught very much. That's truly lovely. And then I also had a um, brother who was wounded in the war, Second World War. And I was so busy bringing up children with my husband, who was a surgeon and a wonderful man, that I never thought, when I was little, I didn't think about the Second World War. You know, when you're 10, you're thinking about school and maybe beginning to think about boys. And then when I became 40 and the children were brought, our four children had been brought up and things were all settled then, I realized I wanted to study the Second World War. So I took a year and I wrote um, a book called The Bacchus Claim. Bacchus was the god of wine. And in that story, I told the story of, in that book, I told the story of the um, Italian, Italians in Second World War. And um, then after, it was 2008 when I was ready to publish it and I could not find a publisher because everybody, you might remember 2008, the bottom fell out of everything. So I published it myself and I went around to all the Rotary Clubs I could find talking about the book, publishing that book. And then uh, I, I retired and I'm living with my daughter, Allison who is a journalist, a freelance journalist. So writing is our thing. And I decided to write a book on the dirty war, La, La Guerra Sucia in um, Argentina. And that's what I'm in the middle of writing now. Oh, nice. Can you actually tell us a little bit about how it came about that you won an award for Writer's Digest magazine? Uh, oh, that was, um, it must have been a short story, but I, I don't recall which one <laughs> at the moment. Are you, are you, speaking, sorry. No, that's totally fine. So can you tell us um, some of the short stories that you have written? Oh, yes. When I was uh, studying at NYU, I was studying um, French. Our friend, we had a teacher from France and he came in, one, a professor, and he came in one day and he said, I would like you to write a 30 page paper. Wow. And I, I thought, wow, that's a 30 page paper. Hmm. So I wrote it comparing the G7 summit as seen by the French newspaper Le Monde and seen by the New York Times. I made a comparison and it was so much fun to write. I had never written like that before. So then there, uh, there was a section of the New York Times. I was at the time living in Westchester County in New York. There was a section of the New York Times for Westchester residents. So I, I sent a little, just a little essay to them. And they published it. And I thought, oh, wow, this is fun. So then I said another, well, the first essay was on, um, on a course that I had to take to get more credits in teaching. 
um, they taught us how to win an argument. And I wrote a funny story about that. It started out saying that mother and father never argued. We had a very harmonious childhood. But then I took this course and I learned that you can argue with people and you can get your way. And, and then I ended the essay by saying, and mother and father didn't know the fun they were missing. And the, the next essay I wrote for them was about three nice things that happened to me in Latin class. And one, I'll just tell you the first. The first was a little girl came and said, oh, I'm so glad to be here. This is my favorite class of the day. Well, I was soaring after that. So I wrote a story about different things that were pleasant for a Latin teacher. And um, trying to think, oh, I, I wrote um, a story that I just recently, um, there's a, I've forgotten the contest. And it was a story of, actually, it was the year I grew up. I was a first-year person, in, first year in college, came home for the summer. And my mother and father, I wanted a job, and I didn't want to babysit anymore. So a friend of mine said that there was a professor in Johns Hopkins University. I grew up in Baltimore. And he wanted somebody to proof his proofread his um, article on psychology, his book rather on psychology. So I signed up for it. And his name was Morris Fetterman. And mother and dad and I always went in the summer down to Ocean City, uh, Maryland. And one day, my professor, I'd been there a few years, it was very hot in summer, and we did not have air conditioning at that time. This was 19, about 54. And um, the professor, Fetterman, asked me if I would sign his little family, his wife and two boys, find some kind of a hotel for him for the weekend. And so I went down and my mother and father said, uh, oh, you're going to, you can't do that. I said, why can't I do that? We were driving toward the shore. And they said, haven't you seen the sign? The sign says Gentiles only. And I said, what do Gentiles mean? Gentle people? And they said, no, dear, no, dear. But you're going to have an experience if you try to get a room for Dr. Fetterman and his family. So I went in and asked for that. And I, I, they explained to me at the time that in 1954, um, there were signs like that, Gentiles only. And so then I had the experience of having to go back and what was I gonna tell Dr. Fetterman? And I, it ended up, I said, the next next day when I went to work, I hoped he wouldn't ask me if I had found, and finally he did. And I said, well, I said, everything is pretty booked up. Maybe next year? And he looked at me with the kindest, dearest expression. And he said, Miss Price, it's all right. I understand these things. That's fine. Thank you. And I never knew whether he was testing me or helping me to grow up and see what the world was about. 
And this was about 10 years after the end of World War II. And I had started out my summer thinking, at last, I'm free. I can do what I want. I'm in college. And the world is free. And everybody's free to do what they want. Well, I had a shock. And that's the summer I grew up. Wow. That's truly powerful. Mm. And I I wanted to go back a little bit about um, your mom. Can you tell me what it was like growing up in in the household and knowing that your father didn't want you guys to speak Spanish. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I didn't realize that was the case. It's just that we never spoke Spanish. But um, when I was about 40, I said to my mother, why did it would have been so nice if you taught me Spanish growing up? And my mother had a keen sense of humor. She put her hand on one hip and she said, you were hard enough to bring up in one language. And I knew she was kidding, but I thought it was funny. And I told it to my older brother, who was five years older. And he said, Dorsey, that's not, that's not why it was. He said, mother wanted all of us to speak Spanish at the dinner table, but father didn't know any Spanish. And he said, no, we're in America now. I couldn't understand any of the dinner conversation. And then we're going to speak English. And that was the melting pot era. So, and he said, and that, and then Jimmy said, Jimmy adored our father. We all did. He said, and that was the only mistake our father ever made. And so that's what happened. But on the side, I was a girl. And of course, and um, mother taught me a Spanish lullaby, which I will not sing to you because you know Spanish. <laughs> and uh, she taught me El Perezoso Trabaja Dos Veces, The Lazy Man Works Twice. I think she said that to me a few times growing up. Hmm, I'm trying to think about that. And she taught me a few words like pobrecito and a few things like that. So that I, I, I had the accent. I think I had the accent, even though I didn't have the Spanish. Would you like to t- uh, talk to us a little bit in Spanish? No, I will not. <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll, say, I'll sing you the lullaby. <laughs> okay. I, I could compromise with that. Okay. You could, yeah. Just a minute. Let me set up straight. Una muñeca tengo, estoy feliz. Una nana canto para dormir, para dormir, para dormir. That's it. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> Me encanto. <laughs> And I understood that uh, many, I think it's Argentinian mothers, would make up a little lullaby to teach their children, would make up little songs. But I don't know. Maybe you know about that, but I don't know. Well, um, 
in here in my household, I um, how it went was quite different. Um, we were taught to just speak Spanish in the household, and everywhere else, we were like, okay, you could speak English. So, um, as far as the lullabies, I don't, I don't remember if my mom ever did sing me a lullaby. I mean. I need to like probably ask her, but I think they probably did. I do remember she would um do um that little um like a poem, sana sana culito de rana, sino sana hoy, sanara mañana. Oh. So that that was like when, you know, like you had like a little uh cut or something like that to like make you feel better and distract your you know mind. Yeah. So kind of shift your mindset on not thinking about the boo-boo that you had (laughs) (laughs) but that's pretty much it so did you um ever really get to try uh with um your mom or with anybody from your family wait a minute getting what i'm sorry uh did you ever try that or anyone in your family um did you ever pass that around No, no growing up i was always intrigued by the yerba mate cup. Yes. And also, well, it, it was made of a gourd. Yes. Of course, it was for drinking yerba, uh, um, yerba mate. And it was, uh, it had silver on it and it had four little goat's legs that that held in silver that held up the little gourd cup and it had a... Um, silver straw and i always wondered who those people were in the family a Mex- uh, who who shared that and what did they talk about i was always very curious about that and that's how i started my new novel actually <laughs> ah um, interesting yes um i don't want to do a spoiler alert but may i just tell you a little bit about the novel? Of course. Okay. Well, there is a young lady, 28 years old, in Massachusetts, whose mother has told her she was from Argentina. And her mother always talked about the beautiful estancias and the 15th birthday parties. And her mother made her think that she was from a very aristocratic family and it was part English and part uh, Argentine and in uh, the the parents die suddenly in the beginning of the book and the little the little girl the big girl decides that she will get on a plane and she will go to Argentina and find out about her relatives because her mother never talked about anybody but the ancestors, the the brilliant ancestors who dressed for dinner and so forth. So uh, the girl goes on a plane and she meets a 93-year-old lady who tells her all kinds of interesting things and says it's her ancestors. And this uh, Marta thinks, oh no, that's not like that at all. She's saying that my grandfather was a gaucho what what is this so that's all i'm going to tell you but you see how it works <laughs>
Yes, of course. And I, I, I just wanted to add a little bit about something that um, that's actually something I, my culture, I, the only thing that I can say probably that I, I've always been very um, on top of was actually always uh, drinking sherba mate. Everything else I became very Americanized. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was my only thing that I always felt that I was able to stick with. And I was always like, okay, this is part of who I am and I, I'm going to embrace that. Is there anything that you feel that you were able to embrace being from Argentina, from your mom's culture in general? Oh, I was always very proud to be from, uh, that my mother was from Argentina. And uh, she told me that mixtures of people are so much more beautiful than people who were all English or all Spanish or all everything, because I was a mixture, you understand? Yeah. Very cleverly made me think that I was special for that, which was a good idea. <laughs> I, I know one thing is interesting. I got together with my female first cousins when we were all about 40 and we all, by the way, sang the same song, the lullaby that I just sang to you. And we figured that my mother's, let's see, my mother and their mother's mother, Maria Ignacia Ramos, the one who was really Spanish, um, that she must have taught all the girls that. I thought that was nice. Um, my The reason I have Spanish in me is that my grandfather went, uh, he worked for the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, and, one, and he was in charge of the water on the railroads out west. And one, he was ambitious, which was a very good word then, and I don't know that it's such a good word now, but he wanted to get further in the world. So the board of directors of the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe told him to buy a top hat and go to England and tell them he wanted to work for the British railways in Argentina. So he did. He was just a young man, maybe 21 or something. And he went down there and stayed in, the, in a pension um, of two Spanish ladies. Argentine. Argentine, originally from Spain. And he stayed there, and uh, he played chess with the with the uh, priest every night. And eventually, he fell in love with a younger daughter who was about twenty six. And he wanted to marry her, and he did. And they had four children, five children actually, and they came up to this country. And his um, his wife's name was Maria. Ignacia Ramos, and mother always said, and Ramos means branch of the true church. So that's how I, I always heard these stories, and I just thought, well, what a romantic pa past I have. That is lovely. Mm -hmm. That's truly lovely. And I, I have one daughter who is a doctor, and she has taught herself and by listening and being in a clinic 
um, she's completely fluent in Spanish. And so we have this urge in our family to know more about Argentina and Spanish. That's that's really nice to know. And I I love how you said earlier how it your mom said it's special to be very mixed. And I think that's something that I was actually, you know, it was hard for for everyone for me to just say, you know, I'm Argentine, but we had a lot of, you know, background as well with, you know, how um my mom's past has been Spaniard, then Italian, there's been some Turkish in there, um, versus my dad, um, the little that we do um, know about him is just that he's a native Argentine. So that, you know, to look back into that is like very, you would have to dig very deep. So I love how you said that you do know so much about who you were, and how even though your mom was like, you know, hiding a little bit about the the language, you still got to know who you were and how you grew up. So that's really nice and beautiful that you shared that with us. Is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners as well? Well, I... <laughs> of course, we could tell the listeners. Okay, I'm 89. And don't be afraid to be 89. It's you can make fun. You can make your life fun. And I'm probably one of the happiest people around. I did. I do want to say one more thing. I read a book when I was 87. I thought, oh, I'm not in the workforce anymore. And what, what, am, I, what am I doing? And then I read a book and it was called The Biggest Lie in Christianity. And what the biggest lie is, I'll sum up the book for you, is that you can't be happy. And the way you can be happy is doing for other people. And so that's when I went to my daughter, Allison, and I said, please find me some people to teach because I'm happy when I'm teaching. And I could still be um, helpful. And I could still have a place in the world and a place in uh, with other people. And so I've now I, I think I told you I'm teaching three languages and I'm teaching a little girl English. Uh, she wants to be a writer and she will be a writer. And she's been coming to me for three years for prompts. I tell her things like um, you go, she's 12 years old. You go out in the garden and there's a dinosaur. Now, if you want to be a writer, you have to tell me how you feel about that, what the dinosaur looked like, and so forth. So for me, there are lots of things to do. And 89 is just fine by me. Every year, I really feel that life is getting better and better. And that's what I have to say. <laughs> I love it. That's that's really soul speaking right now. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love it. And um, since you did mention that you, um, you know, motivated um, the 12 year old girl, can you tell our listeners what is one piece of advice that you would say to anyone who wants to be a writer but doesn't know what to do next? Mm -hmm. 
I'm thinking. It's just, <laughs> I well, I write best when I write what I what I experienced, and I think it's a good idea to to just start writing about an experience you had, but how you felt about it, and if you are writing about something bring the reader into it for example don't say they they had dinner and i learned this from allison don't just say they had dinner say they they uh, seated them they sat down at the table and they had steak and salad and then they had a conversation about blah blah place place your reader in the story hmm. Okay. Is um one last question before um we wrap everything up. I just wanted to ask what does peace learn health mean to you? What does what? I'm sorry. Peace learn health mean to you. Oh, oh yes, I saw that. What does it mean to me? Yeah, I'm going to just brainstorm, as my husband used to say. Or <laughs> Of course. Peace to me means I like being older and being able to do the things I want. And I like being able to be peaceful. And what was the next one? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, yeah, of course. Uh, learn. Learn. I'm very curious, and that's the best part of life is learning and never stop learning. When I'm driving along a road and I see a little lane going off the road, a little dirt lane, I want to go down that lane and see what's there. And I think curiosity is just, for me, it's wonderful. And the last? Health. Health. Yes. Is that H-E-L-T-H? Yeah. Keep walking. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You've got to keep moving, got to keep going. And yes, I, I feel like this whole conversation was meant to be because I am a teacher myself. Ooh. And <laughs> I'm a daycare teacher, though, mm -hmm. so... And the fact that, you know, I got to connect with your daughter as well and learn that, you know, you guys come from also the my background as well as an Argentine person. And I just wanted to say um, that it's been a pleasure to get to talk to you and thank you so much um, for being part of this podcast. Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. And I enjoyed meeting you too, Marina. Thank you so much.